Well, good morning, everyone. How are you this morning? You're looking properly socially distanced and safe. That's good. Well, as uh, Garrett said, we are in James chapter 4 as we continue our series in the book of James. Um, but before we dive into that chapter, will you pray with me? Uh, let's pray for a moment and then um, we'll commit this time to the Lord. So, Father, we do want to ask that you would bless your word to our hearts. Uh, we want to hear what the Spirit is saying for us today from the book of James. Um, thank you for the opportunity we have to assemble together this way and pray that, again, you would bless, you would open our hearts, you would speak to us, you would encourage and spur us on to love and good works. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we dive into uh, the fourth chapter of the book of James, I wanted to talk about wisdom. A simple definition of wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So someone can have uh, vast knowledge, but not necessarily act in wisdom. Uh, we use the word wisdom very loosely in our culture. Uh, we, all like, we all like to think we're a little older and wiser. Amen? Uh, because we've learned how to use knowledge in a more practical way. And we've learned some lessons from life itself. Some of those lessons were learned the hard way. I was uh, thinking about some of the practical wisdom that I've learned from my childhood. I came up with three random things of practical wisdom that I've learned. One was when we were kids, we would climb, we'd find the highest pine tree. I know some of you got very mature trees on your property, but we, we were kids, we'd climb the highest pine tree we could, we could climb. We'd love to climb. Well, we learned not to start our climb at sunset because we'd go all the way to the top of a pine tree and find out the sun went down and it's dark. And now we can't see to get our way back down. And that, that we learned that very quickly. Don't wait till sunset to start the climb. Another random thing I learned with practical wisdom, this is very random, Dr. Dan, you're going to appreciate this one, was uh, the best way to remove earwax. When we were kids, we had to learn this because my sister came home one day and she said, I've, I think I've learned the best way to remove earwax. And she said, you roll up a piece of wax paper into a funnel, you put the, the small end into your ear and you light it on fire. And the fire is supposed to create a vacuum and suck the wax out of your ear. And you know, as a kid, I thought, that sounds cool. I volunteer. Well, I'll never let her do that to me again. Because that, you know, we learned the hard way that that was not the best way to, to accomplish that goal. <clears throat> so practical wisdom. Uh, the last one, I, you know, random thing from childhood for practical wisdom. You know, if, if you're sucking gas out of a siphoning gas from a vehicle... The, the old way with a tube, you know, and you use your, you kind of get the suction going with your mouth. Some of you guys have tried this. Well, you know, if you're doing that with a, with a motorhome or an RV, it has another cap that looks just like a gas cap, but it goes to the sewage tank, you know. So this is, we learn practical wisdom, right, on what not to do, uh, and we all are older and wiser, and so... You know, these are just some random examples, and you've got your own. You can probably share with me later uh, some of your favorite ones. But it's, we learn practical wisdom, the right application of knowledge, right? But the, and the world offers a great deal of knowledge. 
for practical wisdom. But today we'll see that if we look to the world for wisdom and counsel regarding matters of the heart, if we look to the world for wisdom and answers uh, on matters of the soul and the important questions of life, the Bible says that true wisdom comes from God and that the so-called wisdom of man is foolishness. So James is a book of the Bible that is dedicated to wisdom. It's a wisdom book, much like Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Both books describe true wisdom, what it is, and why it is needed. So let's look at a few things that both Solomon and James have said about wisdom, because Again, the wisdom of God is what is needed if we're going to see what James calls the fruits of righteousness that are sown in peace. So here's a few things from Solomon. Proverbs 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. From Proverbs 2, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And from Proverbs 4, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. So I was thinking, why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? I think because true wisdom comes from God by way of revelation. Revelation comes by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. God has revealed Himself in creation. God spoke to the prophets in time past, and in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And so to choose the fear of the Lord is to respond in faith to the revelation of who God is, and to humbly confess that we are accountable to him for our life. To choose the fear of the Lord, then you believe in the God of the Bible. You believe in the, the one true God, creator of heaven and earth, You believe he is our maker, he is holy, he is righteous, but God has also revealed himself as good and full of compassion. This is from Exodus 34. When God revealed himself to Moses, he passed by and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So the Bible says the fear of the Lord leads us to hate all evil. And the fear of the Lord leads us to trust in God's mercy. It's a holy reverence for God. And it leads to a heart that is in submission to His will and a desire to please the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. Psalm 112 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord who delights greatly in his commandments. So we must choose the fear of the Lord. And I think we all know people who, up to this point, have chosen not to fear the Lord. We know people. But I believe it's the wisest choice anyone can make, that everyone must make, because it leads to the wisdom and knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord means, ultimately, repentance towards God and ultimately, faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
So, okay, so that, there's some foundational things from the book of Proverbs about wisdom. But let's jump back now or forward <laughs> to James and what he says. Again, because James is a wisdom book, and as we'll see, James, his main point is that the wisdom of God is needed. It's needed in every circumstance. It's needed in every trial. The wisdom of God is needed in every hardship. It's also needed in every relationship that we have if we're going to be peacemakers, okay? So let's look at uh, some things that James says about wisdom, again, before we dive into chapter 4. From, from 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith and without doubting. Did you know that you can ask God for wisdom? I believe that's for at any time, for anything, for everything, anywhere, we can ask God for wisdom. Then James adds this about wisdom from chapter 3, starting in verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The, this so-called wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, even demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James says here there are two kinds of wisdom. They come from two different sources, from two different directions. And when followed, they produce two different results. One is true wisdom. One is false. One is from God. One is man-made and is tied to the world and the flesh and the devil. But both wisdoms are available to all. They are both at our disposal in every situation. One is much more popular in this world. One is more widely promoted and passed on. Proverbs 14:12 says there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. So James says there is worldly wisdom and there is the wisdom of God from above. Man's wisdom comes from reason while God's wisdom comes from revelation. James said the wisdom of man or the wisdom of the world is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It promotes bitterness, envy, and self-seeking. It results in confusion and every evil thing. But the wisdom of God is pure and leads to peace. James highlights the desired result that comes when we live by the wisdom of God. Look at it again in chapter 3, verse 18. It's the fruit of righteousness which is sown in peace by those who make peace. I think what this means is quite simple. The wisdom of God leads to healthy, deepening relationships because it teaches us to treat people 
in the right way. These are the fruits of righteousness that are sown in peace. Look at the list again, in, in, uh, starting in verse 17 of chapter 3. The wisdom of God that leads to righteous living and healthy, deepening relationships. The wisdom of God is pure. It means it's undefiled by sin. Treating people with pure motives, without manipulation or, in, or, or ulterior motives. It's pure. The wisdom of God is peaceable. It's not at war. It acts gently. It's willing to yield, which means it's not demanding its own way. It's full of mercy, which is a willingness to forgive. Good fruits comes in serving others in love. It's without partiality. That means honoring all people who are created in God's image. It's without hypocrisy, meaning it's a sincere love, not pretending, but a genuine and authentic love. So these are the fruits of righteousness that are sown in the lives of others when we follow the wisdom of God. Listen to this quote from Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite Bible commentators. He said, the Christian life is a life of sowing and reaping. For that matter, <clears throat> every life is a life of sowing and reaping, and we reap just what we sow. The Christian who obeys God's wisdom sows righteousness, not sin. He sows peace, not war. The life we live enables the Lord to bring righteousness and peace into the lives of others. What we are is what we live, and what we live is what we sow. What we sow determines what we reap. If we live in God's wisdoms, we sow righteousness and peace, and we reap God's blessing. If we live in man's worldly wisdom, we sow sin and war, and we reap confusion and every evil work. So James goes on in chapter 4 to apply the wisdom of God in three problem areas. One is arguing and fighting due to love for self and love for the world. The second issue is gossiping and slander due to a judgmental heart. And the third is boasting and bragging due to pride and arrogance. So let's read about the first issue, arguing and fighting due to a love for self and a love for world. Read with me in James 4, starting in verse 1. He says, where do fights and wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives us more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. <clears throat> so again, the first issue James addresses in this chapter is arguing and fighting due to a love for self and a love for the world. They were fighting and warring because of the so-called wisdom that they were following. James says the false wisdom of the world that caters to the lust of our flesh is marked by envy and self-seeking and results in war, not peace. We fight and argue when we follow the world's, the world's wisdom. 
The world's wisdom sits on our shoulder and it whispers in our ear, fight to get what you want. Manipulate people if necessary. Do what it takes to win, to come out on top, to get ahead. Worldly wisdom sits on our shoulder. It whispers in our ear, you deserve it, you've earned it. Fight for what you're entitled to. Demand your rights. Don't, don't be taken advantage of. We all know what it's like, right? To have worldly wisdom whispering in our ear. This is the false wisdom promoted by the world. Have you noticed that when we act selfishly, it ruins relationships? Things don't go well? James says, there are selfish desires that rise in your hearts, and these desires are at war with the desires of the Spirit who dwells within us. The battle begins in our hearts. And when we choose worldly wisdom, we allow fleshly desires to become sinful demands. And we argue and we fight, and our self-seeking leads to confusion. And as we read here, here's the list of evil that resulted. Warring and fighting, murderous and hateful thoughts, covetousness, lusting. He said to them, you covet and cannot obtain. That means they had chosen to strive greedily for what they wanted at any cost. In verse 3, yet you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, you're out of fellowship with the Lord. Instead of submitting to his will and asking him for wisdom, you're striving to get what you want. You're focused on fulfilling your selfish desires. And those desires, again, have become sinful demands. He says, he goes on, and if you do pray, your prayers, your prayers are hindered and they're ineffective because your hearts are not right before the Lord. You're following earthly self-seeking wisdom. James goes on to even call them adulterers and adulteresses, meaning that their selfish desires have become idolatry. Their affections were set on the things of the world and it had become, it had become unfaithfulness in their devotion to the Lord. Have you noticed that we can make an idol of just about anything? Really, we can. Just about anything. Anything that crowds God out of his rightful place in our, in our hearts. And the problem with false gods is that they do not deliver in the end. They do not deliver what they promise, and we end up serving them. We end up polishing them, waxing them, you know, and, and they get all of our attention, ultimately, if it becomes an idol. So, but let's look at what else James has to say to them. He turns the corner, and this is in loving correction and instruction. He offers them the wisdom and knowledge of God. Notice verse 5. Do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives us more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he says, the Spirit of God who dwells with you is yearning to draw you back. Yearning to draw you back to the Lord. Yearning to recapture your hearts with the love of God. The Spirit of God is yearning when we're following worldly wisdom when we're making a mess out of things. 
He's there to recapture our hearts and to grant us more grace. More grace. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. The Spirit of God is ready to grant more grace. That's the help and the grace to repent and acknowledge the truth. The Spirit of God will grant grace to repent and draw near to God. Draw near to God and receive His wisdom. And the grace to be at peace then with those we are, in, we are fighting with. It's the grace, Romans says, it's the grace in which we stand. It's the grace which we have through Christ, we have access to that grace by faith. Amen? So James says, here's the wisdom to follow. When you're arguing and fighting, and we focused on worldly wisdom, and pleasing ourselves, and it's become unfaithfulness to the Lord, James says, here is wisdom from above. Look at verse 7. He says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So James says those who are in ungodly conflict, they must repent. It's, it's, it's quite simple. They must repent and be broken over their sin. It's not complicated. He says, number one, submit to God. When we're in conflict with each other because we're demanding something we want, it's no longer about God's will. It's about my will. Someone said it's either thy will be done or it's my will be done. And the wisdom of God teaches us what is needed. We must bring our hearts in submission to God once again. Submission. And humbly agree with him that this conflict should not be about what I want and my selfish desires. James also says as we submit to God, we will be resisting the devil. If I'm in ungodly conflict with others and it's about my selfish demands, then the enemy has been looking to gain a foothold in my life and a stronghold in my mind. Here's another quote from Warren. <clears throat> God wants us to be humble. Satan wants us to be proud. God wants us to depend on his grace, while the devil wants us to depend on ourselves. Satan needs a foothold in our lives if he's going to fight against God, and we can give him that foothold. The way to resist the devil is to submit to God. The way to resist the devil is to draw near to God. So again, there's a simple solution when we are, when we are in sin, and it's one word, right? Repent. It's one word. Because God will meet us more than halfway when we return to him. Like, like the father who ran to his prodigal son. You, you remember the story? The father ran to him. The son had been following worldly wisdom. And that worldly wisdom had led him to squander all that he had. He ended up in the pig pen. And when he, it says, when he came to his senses and returned to his father, his father saw him away off and he ran to him and met him more, the, more than halfway. And that's how God responds to repentance. Meets us more than halfway to welcome us back 
welcome us home and to celebrate our return. James says, when you realize you've been following worldly wisdom and you've made a mess of things, humble yourself, draw near to God, and come to his throne of grace to obtain mercy. There's a need for confession and for cleansing and for the purification of your hearts. He says, mourn and be broken over your sin. So this is what repentance looks like. He goes on to say, humble yourselves and God will lift you up. God will lift us up out of the pit that we dug for ourselves. God will lift us up out of the mess that we made and show us the way out by granting us his wisdom and his grace. And when his wisdom is followed, it will produce the fruits of righteousness and peace. So let's, I'd like to look at that list again from, from the end of chapter 3. The fruits of righteousness when the wisdom of God is followed. Again, it's acting in purity, undefiled by sin. It's acting peaceably. It's acting gently. It's being a willingness to yield, not demanding our own way. It's full of mercy, a willingness to forgive. It's bearing good fruits by serving others in love. Treating them without partiality, honoring all people who are created in God's image, and treating others without hypocrisy, but with a sincere love. It's interesting to see the parallels in these fruits of righteousness when you compare them with what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Beatitudes. Look at these parallels. He said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be, obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And finally, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. James is essentially saying the same thing. Happy are those who live by the wisdom and knowledge of God. Blessed are the peacemakers who sow the, who sow the fruit of righteousness. So, okay, let's, so let's move on now to the second issue that James addresses in chapter 4. Gossiping and slander due to a judgmental heart. Verse 11. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? So here James addresses gossip and slander due to a judgmental heart. Again, when we follow worldly wisdom, we dig ourselves a pit and we make a mess out of things and we ruin relationships. But worldly, worldly wisdom leads to the wrong use of the tongue. As we saw last week in chapter 3, James addresses this directly. This is from James 3, uh, verse 9, just as a reminder. With our tongue we bless God our Father, 
and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God. My brethren, these things ought not to be. So what is the worldly wisdom that leads to gossip and slander? Worldly wisdom sits on our shoulder. It whispers in our ear, you make a great judge. It's, you know, and it's safe to assume why so-and-so did what they did. You've got enough evidence to throw down a verdict. Worldly wisdom whispers in our ear, you know, you can be the first one to pass this on. You're going to look pretty good judging this in somebody else. You'd never do that. You know, it's, it's in your power to launch a torpedo and, and sink somebody's reputation. Teach him a lesson. Maybe give him a dose of humility. Maybe it's a time for a little payback and get even. This is, you know, we all know what it's like. The worldly wisdom that rises up. This is the wisdom that leads to gossip and slander and judgmentalism. James says it fans the flames of envy and promotes selfish ambitions and is backed by an evil influence. Here's a few things from Proverbs. Proverbs 11, a talebearer talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit, spirit conceals a matter. Proverbs 26, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. So let's consider the wisdom of God when we begin to question people's motives and when we're tempted to make judgments. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth on this very issue because there were false teachers going around. False teachers who were spreading false rumors and attempting to discredit Paul uh, in, in the attempt to promote themselves. And God's wisdom reminds us that when it comes to motives and why people do what they do, we cannot see the heart. We've not been, and we've not been given the job to judge. We all answer to one lawgiver and one judge. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ. So listen to what he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. He says, when it comes to people's motives, why they're doing what they're doing, let's wait till the Lord comes. We all will stand before the Lord. Listen to what he wrote to to the church at Rome in, in chapter 14. He says, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We should all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. In other words, love one another. Here's one final quote from my good friend Warren, who's gone to be home with the Lord, but he's still mentoring me. (laughs) He says, Christians are to speak the truth in love. They are not to speak evil in a spirit of rivalry or criticism. If the truth about a brother is harmful, then we should cover it in love and not repeat it. If he has sinned, 
We should go to him personally and try to win him back. James was not forbidding us to use discrimination or even to evaluate people. Christians need to have discernment, but they must not act like God, passing judgment. We must first examine our own lives and then try to help others. We never know all the facts in a case, and we certainly never know the motives that are at work in men's hearts. To speak evil of a brother and to judge a brother on the basis of partial evidence and probably unkind motives on our part is to sin against him and against God. We are not called to be judges. God is the only judge. He is patient and understanding. His judgments are just and holy, and we can leave the matter with him. Again, worldly wisdom will tell you, will tell us, you make a great judge. And I, I've talked with married couples, and you know, they're fighting and they're arguing, they're criticizing each other, and you can hear the worldly wisdom that's being followed sometimes. Especially when one, one spouse turns to the other and says, you need marriage counseling. In other words, they're saying, in my estimation, you're the one with the problem. Let me know when you get fixed. Okay, well, <laughs> the wisdom from above says, let judgment begin with your own heart, with your own motives. Jesus said, seek to remove the log in your own eye first. Then you can see clearly to help someone else. David set us a wonderful example when he wrote in the Psalms, he wrote, search me, O God, Try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Inviting the Lord to help us examine ourselves. Only he sees the heart. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. We will give accounts of our lives to him. Amen? And not to each other. So it reminds me of a great bumper sticker I saw when I was tailgating someone someday. <clears throat> I tend to tailgate, I'm tempted to tailgate when someone, you know, they pull right in front of you. I mean, you're going, it happened this morning, <laughs> going, you know, 45, and they just, you know, right in front of you. And then they slow down. You know, it's like, okay, I'm right here. Well, this person had a bumper sticker that was perfect for this situation. Um, it said, the bumper sticker said, two things are certain in this life. One, there is a God. Two, you're not him. <laughs> and I backed off, you know pretty quickly. That's right. <laughs> so true. Okay, let's move on to the third issue that James addresses in chapter 4, beginning, uh, boasting and bragging due to pride and arrogance, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or, or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Can you hear the worldly wisdom that James is addressing? The wisdom of the world sits on our shoulder and whispers in our ear, Believe in yourself. Follow your dreams. Choose your own destiny. You're the captain of your ship. You're the master of your soul. Be on top of the world. 
But James says, the false wisdom of the world will lead us to boast and brag about the plans that we've made as though we know the future, as though our life is certain, as though our plans are secure. But he says the wisdom of God teaches us that we, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone the next hour. Life is short, and your life may be shorter than you think. And our plans may not fit into the will of the Lord. So don't be deceived by worldly wisdom. This is a good reminder from a parable Jesus told to illustrate the point in Luke 12. He spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store all my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater ones. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, look, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So, he, so is he who lays up for himself and not, is not rich toward God. This man had a plan. It's not a bad plan. But he planned as though, you know, life is just goes on and he, he knows what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, the point is that it's not wrong that we make plans. I think we should have goals. We should make plans. We should consider different strategies. But we also should remember that God in his infinite wisdom already has a plan. And his will is good and acceptable and perfect. But our tendency with worldly wisdom is to, to presume that God will bless our plans because it's a pretty good plan. I mean, I, you know, we keep offering up our plans and, and for God to bless. I, I envision us kind of holding up a, a silver platter with a model of our plans. You know, and again, say, God, will you bless this plan? How about this plan? You know, and someone said, really, you know, that platter ought to be empty. As we hold it up and say, God, what, what's your plan? Put, put the model of your plan on the platter. Okay, so the question is, do we have a submitted heart to the will of God? Here's a few things. Uh, uh, Psalm 33, the counsels of the Lord stand forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know that, for, know this one, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And Proverbs 19, 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So finally, the Apostle Paul is a wonderful example as he served the Lord with a submitted heart to the will of God. You know, he made his plans. He planned them prayerfully and was very uh, diligent to plan them strategically as he set out on his missionary journeys. So a lot of you have been in mission trips and there's a lot of planning and there should be. Here's what he wrote to the saints at Corinth at one point. He said, I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And then he wrote to the church at, in Rome. He wrote, 
he was making his requests of God to come and visit them. And he wrote, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So you can hear the humility and the submitted heart. And I think God gives us a lot of freedom within his will. I mean, I think we're exercising freedoms all the time, making all kinds of little decisions that are not, you know, contrary to the will of God deciding for ourselves. But we are wise to remember that God in his infinite wisdom already has a plan. And his counsel and his plans stand forever and his will is good. His will is good and acceptable and perfect. In his will is where I want to be. In his will, in harmony with his plan, included in what he is doing, seeking first his kingdom. So finally, in conclusion, James says there's two kinds of wisdom. They come from two different sources, from two different directions. And when they are followed, they produce two different results. One is true wisdom, and one is false. One is from God, and one is man-made, tied to the world and the flesh and the devil. Both are available to all. Both are at our disposal in every situation. There's worldly wisdom and there's wisdom from above, the wisdom of God. Man's wisdom is from reason. God's is from revelation. So James says, just ask. Do you lack wisdom? Ask God and he will give to all. Because the wisdom of God is what is needed if we're going to see the fruits of righteousness that are sown in peace. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. How gracious it is of you, Father, to make your word known to us as you reveal God your word and your will for our lives and your wisdom that you make so readily available to every one of us father make us discerning make us discerning when worldly wisdom is whispering in our ear I ask that the Holy Spirit would remind us that there is wisdom from above there is wisdom from God there is wisdom from your word that will lead us and teach us to sow the righteousness. Sow righteousness in our situation, in our lives, in the lives of others that will lead to peace. Lord, we want to be peacemakers as much as possible, as much as depends on us to live peaceably with one another and to sow righteousness, Lord, to treat others in a right way. Lord, so that these relationships are reconciled, that they are healthy, deepening, Lord, and we're enjoying the fellowship that you desire as brothers and sisters in Christ with the love of God, loving one another. Bless your word to our hearts, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand in response to God and his